Hello friends and welcome to the new episode of CV Spachem. In today's episode, we discuss the US-Russia relations from security perspective. It's interesting that despite the fact that we live in a very modern world with you know, Elon Musk, like rockets that will probably go to Mars and stuff like this, the US-Russia relations still exactly in the same point as they were in 20th century during Cold War which basically means that they are unstable, that they are chaotic, they are unpredictable, and they pose a serious threat to peace in the world. And in this episode, we try to understand this phenomenon through various theoretical perspectives and just try to discuss um, what path those relations can take and what we can do to improve those relations. So subscribe to our channels if you like this podcast, share with friends, So, hello, dear listeners, and welcome hello. to the new episode of CV Spachem. Today, we would like to discuss uh, the U.S.-Russia uh, relations, I guess, uh, uh, recent events with Navalny manifestations in Russia, kind of provoke the discussion and... Um, yeah, give some thoughts. So let's, I guess, Vava just discuss this topic. Yeah, uh, it's a, uh, we already discussed Russia a bit last time, mm-hmm. but uh, this time let's put it in a broader context of transatlantic relations. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for start, uh, can you tell us something about the recent developments since last week in Russia, about the protests and the uh, yeah. and Navalny uh, case? What's what's the situation right yeah, now? Yeah, it's I guess it's it's really interesting maybe for people because uh, it's not so it's not so easy to follow up on Russian news. So the situation is uh, uh, right now that they basically initiated this massive campaign. They basically detain everyone who has a connection to Navalny. You know, his team, his wife, his brother. So basically, everyone like based on charges, something like you know, COVID charges, which is hilarious. Um, today, tomorrow will be another manifestation, but you know the center of Moscow will be, will be basically closed. Yes, because and also they, uh, I guess, filed around fourteen uh, forty charges against people during like uh, for particip- not participation in manifestation, but for the use of violence against policemen and stuff like that. So it basically means that uh, they started this campaign of repressions. And at the same time, you know, they launched this uh, massive media campaign in support of Putin. Uh, also, mm-hmm. they showed his kind of palace in Gelenjik, near Gelenjik. Um, I mean, it's interesting because uh, uh, it feels like it provoked the discussion. You know, his video uh, about the palace of Putin has around yes. like 100 million views, even more. Yes, last time I checked, it was around 100 million. Yeah, which is basically, you know, almost all... It means almost all Russians watch this video. And I guess it causes some troubles for... for not for Putin, but for the system. Uh, because I don't think they, they, they freak out, but they totally understand, you know, the socioeconomic situation is very hard right now. And it's really easy to mobilize people when you have uh, this kind of, you know, uncertainty about the future, COVID, you know, stuff like this. So, yeah, and Navalny basically became the prisoner number one, kind of similar to Sakharov or any other detainees in the world. He is now not like just uh, 
a a positioner or he is basically a political prisoner and I know everyone knows they won't let you know they won't let him um, to like they just will detain him for a couple of years at least uh, but you know uh, as I predicted those manifestations they even though I mean I was surprised a little bit because people used violence against police there were some very kind of clashes with police maybe maybe people got inspired uh, by Belarusian manifestations and protests I don't know uh, yeah. but it definitely felt like uh, uh, there was actually a mistake, I guess, you know, because when you invoke like violence, uh, basically like, authorities can say, well, you know, look at them, like, you know, they use violence, look at other countries, you know, if you use violence against the police in any country, I mean, you can, you can get killed, you know, in the US. Yeah. And yeah, which is, I mean... The situation is, uh, I totally, I totally understand, and I totally support Navalny and his work. But I also understand that people should, uh, people, people shouldn't pay so much attention to Russia just in terms of, just you know, saying the, the things about Putin and, ba- and like you know, uh, governments shouldn't base their policy on this because it's it's totally stupid. And you see, uh, like you know, manifestations and manifestations, but actually like super clashes with like in Netherlands because of the COVID restrictions. Where yes. they basically, yeah, they basically you know um, storm some police stations and stuff like this. The world, oh yeah, the world is kind of um, experiencing this transformation. And all those uh, political unrest, I guess, is kind of usual. Um, and I don't think it will lead to anything in Russia. But it's still interesting to understand that you know we now live in the in the kind of we like Russia entered new age where Navalny is not um, is not like a main position anymore, but he's more like a political prisoner. And mm-hmm. it basically means that uh, it basically means he will continue to. Strive was to struggle for power in the future because he has like way more important status in the system right now. Yeah, this is um, this is an important issue that she said that he will struggle in the system. Uh, so we have pretty much um, established the fact mm-hmm. that probably those protests will not bring about any change any anytime soon. But do you maybe think that it will be a start of some maybe unified opposition movement against the government? Uh, that maybe will not bring any effects in, let's say, in the next four years, but mm-hmm. in the in the long run, let's say, ten years, it can bring about change and a change of the regime. Do you think that's maybe the start of some opposition movement like this? Uh, I mean, of course, it can be the start of like the broader opposition movement. Also, we have uh, like elections. Russia has elections this year, parliamentary elections. And this topic will be extremely important, but I'm not sure whether it can cause any change because, you know, uh, as Navalny says something like in 2011, the power uh, in Russia won't change uh, in elections or something like this, meaning, you know, kind of it will change via yeah. revolution. Now, I mean, as I said, I don't hope for any sort of revolution and um, with a kind of cold head, uh, I support all democratic initiatives and I'm, you know, kind of liberal person. Uh, but at the same time, I understand that only like peaceful transformation can can contribute to prosperity of Russians and contribute to just peace in the world. I don't really feel that uh, any sort of uh, you know chaos and any sort of like revolution and like real revolution can can bring can bring peace. 
And, you know, we, like Russia actually, like authorities always invoke this argument, of course, you know, Russia, you know, went through uh, three revolutions in the 19th century and look, look yeah. where we, you know, where we now, like we lost so much resources. Um, but I... But do you really see... Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, just ask a question, I guess. Uh, do, do you see any um, perspectives for a peaceful transition uh, with mm-hmm. Putin still alive? Do you think he'll ever give up power willingly? Yeah, and it's an interesting question. I guess only Putin could, can answer in the future. But uh, of course, uh, sooner or later he will step down, either by he, like the mortality factor <laughs> or by just the factor that he will step down. Or maybe he will you know, take some kind of position of... Uh, uh, like, you know, the father of a nation, like in Kazakhstan, something like this, and will transfer his power mm-hmm. to some of his friends, not friends, maybe just like young technocrats the same way, you know, Yeltsin did transfer power to Putin. He wasn't really like a friend yeah. with Putin. He just like saw, I guess, a potential in him. Um, and then I just hope that, you know, this could bring changes in terms of uh, if someone more, maybe more liberal comes to power, he can reorient this politics, not like drastically saying, you know, let's be friends with the, like with the West, let's like, you know, give them Crimea back. This won't, they won't happen and, and no one can like, I mean, they just like Crimea won't, won't, <clears throat> won't be back to Ukraine. So I think it's, it will be more in terms of uh, just easing down, easing, easing restrictions, just, you know, giving like maybe um, some freedom in economic policies and something like this. I mean, uh, it's, 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 it's a hope at this, and at the same time, it's my hope that this will be like this, but I, I totally with a cold head understand that it will probably take like 10, maybe 15 years. So it's not, uh, instantaneous change. And I think we should, like Russians should be really afraid of instantaneous changes because I don't think it will bring any peace in any mm-hmm. good for Russia. So um, uh, it's certainly in the interest of uh, Russian citizens to see a democratic Russia, mm-hmm. and it's also in the interest of the Western countries, yeah. the European Union, the United States as well. So um, what would you say about the current responses of the West, uh, yeah. the EU, the US to the situation in Russia? Mm-hmm. And what do you think those countries should do to basically foster a democracy in Russia, if it's possible? Yeah, I mean... Right now, I think the situation is so bad with the West uh, in terms of the West-Russian relations and Russian-NATO relations are so bad that I would suggest to disentangle political reality and just talk, you know, to Putin, talk to his team, talk to professionals in Ministry of Foreign Affairs and just uh, draft solutions to better future, to, you know, uh, to peaceful coexistence between nations, because the more we go into this uh, animosity, because the thing is with the west it, it's really hypocritical because you know it, it, it does cover like russian protests as something like you know uh, unbelievable look at them look what they're doing you know but at the same time we see the same thing happening in the us we see the same ha- happening in europe you know, all these protests yeah. it's uh it, they it's 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 we should and like, they shouldn't be hypocritical they should you know base their policy on interest uh, between countries because it, yes. they, and also there is interesting question you know even with democratic government who uh, why why people think that Russia would behave differently you know maybe even with democratic government Russia would have you know seized Crimea because it's like 97% of russian's people voted to basically become part of russia so you know 
Yeah, I guess it's it's the democratic peace theory that's embedded in the minds of policymakers. But I absolutely mm-hmm. agree with your point about the hypocrisy of, of the West. We saw how uh, we are very often see how the police treats yeah. people in the U.S. Uh, we have it's absolutely funny to see, for example, Polish mm-hmm. government commenting on the protests in Russia by saying, oh, yes, we support democratic opposition. Like, mm-hmm. come on, guys, you're anything but a democratic party. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> so yeah, it is absolutely, absolutely hypocrisy to see. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm not sure if I would agree that the relations with uh, the West are so terrible. Mm-hmm. Like, you, you, you have Macron who says uh, that we should, you know, uh, get closer mm-hmm. with Russia. We have Germany who's building the Nord Stream pipeline, yeah. which pisses the U.S. off. So um, I think there is some space for... Mm-hmm. Um, better relations between the East and the West. Yeah, but I would say it's more like very lonely voices because Macron, I mean, he wants a kind of new approach to Russia, but then he, uh, but then they're all the part of NATO and uh, they more act collectively based on this idea of like Russia is an enemy. You know, they even talk about Russia publicly as an enemy. Uh, I mean, people who work in NATO and it kind of like strikes me because you should never use like such like loaded like uh, loaded nouns and just loaded language and saying someone is an enemy to you because you do- definitely don't want to be enemy with Russia, you know, it's like you don't definitely don't want to be enemy with anyone. It's like, yeah, yeah, like problems exist, you know, countries have their own interests, they but they should work towards a better future. So I guess it's important to uh, just to have a cold head and just, you know, move towards, uh, I mean, even with sanctions, you know, like, you just look at Iran. Iran like has been living under sanctions for like uh, 40 years already. And Iran is like a small country with very smart people, very like, uh, uh, de- definitely with a big potential, but it's still, uh, even, it's still kind of, um, I would say, it still, uh, it still survives, and even in this hostile environment, when uh, everyone is uh, kind of in the West is against Iran, so sanctions don't work. I mean, everyone kind of understands it because look at like like just give me examples of sanctions that you know works. So speak, uh, just like yeah, rhetorical question. You know, I guess. even even in hist- historical comparison, whoever, for example, tried to like Napoleon tried yeah. to starve Britain by halting all trade with Europe, and they did fine. You know, it's yeah. Uh, and even though they were separate from the entire continent. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, sanctions don't work. Yeah, sanctions don't. I mean, and also if we talk about, you know, kind of historical uh, analysis, uh, e- like everyone can debate, discuss, like what caused World War Two, you know, kind of who, who, who to blame, so to speak, uh, for the start of the World War Two. But everyone, I guess, can agree that, you know, allies put Germany into this position. So it it, it became so kind of hostile to everyone in a couple of years because you don't yeah. you don't humiliate nations like Russia and Germany because because I mean they are powerful and they have lots of potential and I mean no matter I, I'm pretty sure that no matter what will happen in the future the Russia uh, has a great potential it has a lot of territory it has smart people it has culture it has every, everything to um, just just for this like not just prosperous, but just like kind of a big future. And no matter who is in power, they should build relations, you know, based on like interest between countries, no matter whether it's like democracy or not, not just now. I mean, but just after that, maybe they can, of course, if like Russia were democratic, it would be better for everyone. 
but you know yeah and it's um it's exactly the same the, the thing that you're talking about humiliating nations and restricting their trade and putting on sanctions especially the same thing yeah. with that happened with germany happened with uh, japan for example japan didn't want to go to war with the us the us forced japan to go to war yeah, two options either become a puppet of the us or try to beat them in a war yeah uh, so if you you know put too much pressure on Russia, they might come to the same conclusion. Yeah, uh, I mean, and they're coming to the same conclusion. Of course, they felt humiliated in the 90s. Of course, they felt humiliated in zeros, and they see this rhetoric because Russia, like uh, Russia, won't be like a puppet in the sense, uh, like it it won't be just you know it it won't listen to the U.S. as its master, so to speak. It won't happen because like exactly. And China as well, of course. Uh, but you know, you definitely see because China is uh, way has way more leverage. It's more, it's way more interesting in terms of e- e- economically. Yeah, you see, like you know, uh, trade deals, uh, amid uh, persecution of Uyghurs, which is basically you can co- definitely compare it to like like the origin of Holocaust, you know, something like this. Yeah. Uh, and then they still trade with them, you know, but. Of course, they don't trade with Russia. They impose those sanctions because uh, I mean, uh, one can argue it's just because uh, NATO needs some like some ex- need NATO needs to exist because it needs it needs like enemy and of course NATO is not like Asian pan Asian uh, security organization. It's European organization, and they really like this idea that Russia is an enemy and uh, we are united against Russia. <laughs> So. Yeah, they need some enemy to keep the alliance together, and especially now the U.S. needs allies, uh, since their main opponent will definitely be China, and they still need to keep their alliance together by some, you know, yeah. looming threat of Russia and Europe. But for now, I think uh, we have some good, good news in mm-hmm. terms of East and West relations. That is the extension of the New mm-hmm. Start deal. Yeah. Uh, so basically, an arms control, arms control deal. Mm-hmm which was extended, uh, which Biden proposed, and the Russian Duma mm-hmm. uh, ratified to the extension. Um, so we see a slight departure from mm-hmm. the policy of Trump towards Russia. And even though Biden was uh, sort of hinting that he considers Russia to be mm-hmm. the bigger threat than, uh, than China, he sort of tries to, you know, ease the tensions i think here i guess it's important also that biden drafted this uh, deal because during obama administration he was vice president and um, it was very big step for like bilateral relations of course very big step i would say for arms control in general it's like very uh, complicated agreement with lots of verification mechanism and very detailed uh, and geeky uh, agreement i would say uh, and of course, no one wanted to lose it just because, you know, they negotiated it for so long. And then it's like just to lose it because some idiot said, like, you know, let's, uh, I don't who has no idea what arms control, like, I guess, what arms control look like actually on the ground. He's like, yeah, let's just drop it, you know. Um, I mean, yeah, yeah I, but I guess it's, uh, it's totally good news because uh, it will extend, like they extended it for five years. And uh, I guess they... It's it's not a big development, but it's just pause in relate pause in this military arms race because they just decided to pause it. But they still have a lot of like, of course, uh, they they want to negotiate new deal because they understand that every deal 
like every arms control deal in the future will be connected to this one so if you just uh, it's like you know uh, like a bedrock of arms control between kind of like in, in between those nations if you just lose this yeah. arms, uh, is this agreement uh, you need to negotiate new bedrock agreement because uh, otherwise uh, they're just going to increase their stockpile and uh, this will be horrible of course um, yeah but it's a uh, thumbs up, of course, because uh, Biden took this uh, action. Um, as we told, you know, early in this uh, in this conversation, based on this rational thing, not just rational thinking, but based on this uh, cold thinking, you know, because it's an interest of everyone. It's an interest of every every everyone in the world to to save this deal, and. But I guess the problems still remain, you know, with tactical nukes, with uh, maybe new caps, with um, new um, kind of like dual use missiles and uh, all of this. Uh, the still problems are still there. Uh, of course, uh, of course, the, the, the idea is that they have five years now. They have very actually very good uh, team, arms control team in the department of uh, in the state department. They. They just basically appointed the famous liberal people with this approach to Russia, not like, you know, enemy, but more like, of course, like they don't think about Russia in terms of democracy, non-democracy. They think about arms control. They're specialists in their field. Uh, and they just really want to to have arms control because uh, without arms control, you know, it's like playing Russian roulette. Uh, and the more kind of the more you play Russian roulette, the more chances you have to, to get a nuclear war or any sort of even conventional war for this matter. Yeah, absolutely. So it's uh, crucial to ease the tensions, to ease the uh, ease the arms race. But still, um, new start, the extension of the treaty is an important step. As as you said, there are new weapons that emerge that yeah. needs to be regulated. We have space warfare being more and more popular. We have supersonic missiles that need to be regulated. Um, so yeah, we have they, they have more work to do in the future yeah but uh, the good news that they have like now specialists and uh, i mean russia has been to be honest russia has been always open to arms control since the beginning of like uh, cold war it was actually like uh, the initiator of arms control agreements uh because uh, I don't know. They had they had this kind of vision that I mean uh, they also kind of played around and fooled a little bit. You know they wanted to prohibit all nuclear weapons even when they acquired them in fifties. They had this initiative to basically destroy eliminate all nuclear weapons. It was like initiated by Russians, but since you know Russia had like Soviet Union had way more powerful conventional military. Uh, it was uh, kind of like you know they maybe did this not because they wanted peace but because they. Yeah, they, to gain an yeah, edge. Maybe, yeah, to gain it. And it's, um, it's also the fact that in modern days, Russia benefits more from arms control because, let's be honest, if we had a, an arms race, mm -hmm. the US could easily outspend Russia in such an arms race. So it's also in the interest of Russia to have such trees that regulate the number of nukes and even conventional arms. Yeah, but it's also in the interest of, uh, of almost. Uh, yeah, of, co of course, in terms of Russian Russian side, it's also interest of, of, of Russia, but it's also interest of the US because with now with all those new missiles, uh, you know, kind of even uh, aircraft carrier can be hit just by one cool, like, I don't know, uh, Iskander M missile, for example, and then it's like, yeah. boom, you know, like uh, one of 17, basically the most expensive military procurement gun. So it's also it's also an interest of just everyone just to have like rules of the game and uh, um, just to, to agree how we 
evolved world because uh, maybe let's just talk about just switch to this topic just in general uh, security relations between the US and Russia because of course the war can emerge every every day so Baba how do you uh, how do you feel about like this uh, prospects of strategic prospects between the US and Russia in the future do you do you feel safe in terms of uh, how the situation evolves at the moment um, I think that um, we need to see how this balance of power between the three great powers in the world that we have currently russia the us and china how it plays out because it isn't really a balanced system mm -hmm. the us is certainly uh the biggest and the most powerful in the world um china probably the second with the most potential russia is still powerful mm -hmm. but i think they might consider china soon to be a bigger threat to them than the us so the us is a distant power and with china mm -hmm. they essentially have a border um so where was where russians to uh consider china being the, their bigger threat mm -hmm. which i'm not sure if they they will do such a they'll make such a decision but it's totally possible then i think that peace at least in europe would be secured mm -hmm. uh, then again i don't think if that russia has any interest in going to war with the us currently mm -hmm. uh i think that they could easily you know occupy eastern ukraine or annex belarus completely and the us wouldn't be too keen on going to war with russia and russia doesn't have any interest mm -hmm. in going further west than the former territories of the soviet union mm -hmm. uh, i don't know if you agree with me i, I would, I would uh, disagree but yeah you can also agree. okay yeah please go ahead disagree. <laughs> yeah uh, i mean I, I would say uh yeah it's not the end of the day and there was actually like uh, the head of RT, rt uh she recently and i kind of like uh publicly uh, uh she actually publicly kind of uh said something like we should then should be part of russia those people want to be part of russia let's return this this part of like uh, the world to russia so something like this you know uh and actually it's interesting because it's like since uh, uh, Putin's rating a little bit plummet, you know, he could invoke, yeah. he can invoke uh, this aggressive, uh, 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 aggressive uh, militaristic policy towards other countries and just grab, you know, I mean, Donbass is already kind of Russian because, you know, they, they grant people Russian yeah, passports uh, and uh, I mean, but you see, um, if he wanted, Putin could completely steamroll over Ukraine, mm -hmm. but he doesn't do that. You know, I mean, uh, he doesn't have an interest in conquering all of Ukraine. He profits a lot politically from the mm -hmm. conflict in uh, eastern Ukraine, but he doesn't have you know any interest in actually capturing mm -hmm. Kiev. No, know? no, no, not uh, the war with Ukraine, but just uh, he can you know uh, at least uh, the okay how to uh, at least to I mean they already occupy those territories. They can say let's like yes, us. I absolutely mm -hmm. agree that we can have yeah. some border conflicts, some undeclared wars or proxy wars. It's mm -hmm. absolutely possible, but I don't think there's a major security threat in Europe at least uh, for NATO. Mm -hmm. Maybe the Baltic countries are more exposed. Because yeah, I'm not sure if, if Russia ever captured Baltic states, you know, overnight, if NATO would actually... I mean, they have this <laughs> uh, problem in Lithuania, you know, it's like 40% of Russian people live there and... Um, exactly, mm, same in Latvia and Estonia. Uh, yeah, so it's, uh, it's a big Russian population and... Uh, you know, uh, anything can happen. I, I mean, I, I, I feel pretty because of uh, both domestic and, uh, let's say, international international politics. I, I feel it's it's really 
um, it's really an unsecure environment and uh, I would say like Russia, I mean, I mean, if, you know, like NATO abandons this idea that they don't accept countries uh, with, uh, uh, in, with uh, territorial disputes to NATO, so they will accept probably uh, then uh, Ukraine and Georgia. Then Russia will probably annex uh, part of Ukraine. At least this part they we, yes, they absolutely. have Russian. They're not stupid. They won't won't of course uh, impose their rule on Ukrainians. Yeah, but they they like there's lots of Russians Russian territories in the east that they can of course just you know roll tanks and just like poof. Uh, the same way about like China and uh, Taiwan, you know, just. Uh, uh, it's it's and also of course Baltic uh, it's, uh, can be provocative but Baltic I think because there is like NATO troops is a part of NATO of course yes, it's that's a deterrent it's yeah. it's a deterrent you cannot really attack them because you will probably then uh, you you will attack like the whole NATO alliance but it's a comfort that Ukraine doesn't have and Belarus is also Belarus probably would be even happy to be a part of Russia or the current government. Yeah, uh, Georgia doesn't have this comfort, so those regions are totally exposed. I mean, the thing is, it's uh, it's important to ease tensions right now because it looks like both NATO increases tensions and Russia increases tensions, and then that's what I t- like uh, said recently. It's like Russian roulette. You, if you play play it so many times, it will basically you know hit the right. Uh, it will escalate. Yeah, it will escalate. Uh, it will escalate because. Uh, you just play this Russian roulette every day. Uh, so just, in, they need to have like, and I hope, uh, I mean, it looks like Sally, uh, it looks like National Security Advisor and uh, State Secretary, they both like anti, very anti-like like Russian. But uh, at the same time, we have Europe and we have, you know, the new leader of, uh, uh, I always mess up, it's Tsedeu, uh, uh, right? Um, yeah. Uh, the new leader of CDU, like the success, uh, the successor of uh, Merkel, he he's um, not pro-Russian, but at least he he is definitely not anti-Russian, and he definitely yeah. aims uh, for a cooperation with Russia. You know, you have Macron, you have uh, actually any uh, some more voices coming and saying, you know, Russia was actually accepted to passe to like. Uh, how it's like what's it, what's it called so it was accepted to this uh, european pan-european institution recently mm-hmm. uh, not like your like voting rights uh, in the assembly of council of europe were, were restored so you see the you see kind of like um you see people try to engage and so i guess that's just a policy debate and it will dominate probably the following decade in terms of who you know whether deter- just deterrence is good, or whether like engagement and uh, en- engagement and cooperation is good, I think uh, it should be, of course, very balanced. I don't, you know, I don't, I, I have no illusions that you just like let's cooperate with Russia and you know let's appease it and let's just um, let's just kind of like give it leverage to do whatever like Russia wants. No, of course there should be both, like you know deterrence, but at the same time there should be some ideas. There should be like deterrence on the one hand and some proposals on the other hand so russia can yeah. can always kind of like choose like because right now russia has pretty much no option rather than like you know uh, has it, it, like right now russia has no option to 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 do anything because uh it's like it's kind of like trapped into this uh, aggressive uh, like Western rhetoric. I mean, I don't, I don't kind of defend Russia. I just, uh, I just want to show another perspective. I would say, of course. Yeah, it's a structural perspective, of course. Yeah, just, just another perspective on on things, uh, and just because uh, 
uh, like eventually we all want to preserve peace and that's what uh, people like you know would do politics international politics they should always think that you know international relations international politics is all about peace it's not about just like let's have enemies and let's just like restore democracy in the world as you said yeah it's like one of the theories right but it's like it's also a very flawed theory because uh, uh, you know how you define democracy you know and there are like so yeah, many exceptions the theory, and you know democracy is a very recent development we have yeah. had democracy for what like modern democracy for like maybe 100 years so the data sets that you that you base your analysis on is this very very small and it's hard to make any conclusions from this uh, but yeah going back to the topic of um, how the west should approach russia i think that um uh, the West is facing a choice between policy of containment mm -hmm. and deterrence and rollback. And I feel that um, many people in the West are pushing for rollback, you know, trying to get Crimea back and Eastern Ukraine. Let's be realistic. It's not going to happen anytime soon. Um, probably not in this century. I mean, so trying to push for rollback can just escalate tensions. So I think we should just, you know, try to do deterrence on both sides uh, to you know, yeah. push people away from war. I mean, uh, the question is, uh, like, in the current situation, I mean, it took, if you just, if you just look at history, you know, it took, it took them uh, Caribbean crisis to ease tensions, actually, right? Because then they realized, oh, that's serious, right? That's, yeah. uh, we can, like, blow up the whole world just because of some island and because of some nukes stored, like, you know, there. And uh, there was, uh, like, a red line and, like, uh, they were kind of, like, stepped, you know, and looked into a beast and realized, well, uh, no one wants war. And then they kind of, like, eased tensions and then they uh, went to the table and say, yeah, how we can negotiate, you know, not from this practical uh, cold perspective, what we can do to just ease tensions, so to speak. Yeah, and I guess, uh, I hope it won't take another Caribbean crisis, so to speak, to realize that uh, the policy, like current politics leads to nowhere, it just leads to escalation, in my opinion, which will, we, I mean, if they continue to you know, beef up these heavy statements, uh, support democracy throughout the world, they they will eventually, both with, either with China or, or with Russia, they will, uh, they will encounter like aggression. Um, yeah, so yeah uh, so i mean the, you know i guess probably ending on the positive side again it's just a policy debate and we can also contribute to this policy debate you know we can uh, in, in many many ways we can just uh, contribute and develop a, a critical approach and just talk through talk talk about international relations security not based on just like democracy versus autocracy but on various various topics but of course democ democratic yes, peace theory is also is also legit and important <laughs> all right uh, i guess all right. it was let's wrap it up let's wrap it up thanks for listening to us subscribe to our channels rate us uh, uh, connect uh, with us on twitter and stay safe uh, yeah until next time until next time <laughs>